0: Hi, welcome to these girls read books the coffee shop. Um, did you sign the community guidelines at the front of the shop? Yeah, you have to you have to read and and sign the community guidelines before you come in. Yeah, we don't really like people to frequent this establishment, unless we've set up some boundaries. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it looks like, you know, those pants are just... they're just too low-waisted. Yeah, we like a higher waist on those pants. And, you know, now that I'm checking, it does look like you... you might have shaved your legs in the past. 24 to, um, to a, to a week. So, so we're not, yeah, we don't really, it's aggressive, um, and upsetting. Uh, so we're going to have to ask you to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, the health department says the armpit hair isn't a problem if we just wear the little nets over it. So Yeah. It's, it's not an issue you need to worry about. Thank you. No, you can come back when your leg hair grows out for at least a, a month to six weeks. Yeah, hmm Thanks, bye. No, sir, please don't, please don't hold the door for her. Yeah, you don't... that's, that's condescending. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's really condescending. How do you know she wants a, do- a door held for her? How do you know she can't hold a door for herself? She can hold a door for herself. She can open a door. Yeah, it's patriarchal, condescending, and presumptive to open a door for someone. Mm -hmm. I know, it's hard. We're all learning, you know? We're all learning, you know? I know. Next. Yes, uh, that is the menu. It It is a list of women's names. Yeah, we name all of our coffee drinks after women who are on the banned book, books list. Uh-huh. Well, I love the, the Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like a little bit of foam on top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. Oh yeah. The plath. Yeah. That's a black, what we do is we take a black cup of coffee, and we put it in an oven, an open oven, and we just let the um, gas run for like 15 minutes. Yeah, it's good. It has kind of like a smoky flavor, a little bit, you know? It's nice, it's nice. Um, Yeah, a little burnt, but it's good. Uh, If you like that, no, we don't have any milk. I'm so sorry. Um, Yeah, we don't support big dairy because it's basically rape. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a cow being milked but it's an abomination. So, um, Yeah, I don't really mince words and you shouldn't either. So thank you for putting that out. Yes, I am. I am a bitch. That's right. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, unless you've actually been milked like a cow has, then I really don't think that you have the authority to tell me what that's like. Mm-hmm. Okay, have you ever looked into the eyes of a cow being milked? You can see the pain there. Yeah, yeah. we, we have oat milk. Yeah, you can't um, look into the eyes of an oat, so yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's it's lukewarm. You know, we don't chill it no but we definitely don't have any sugar so don't ask yeah we just try to stay out of the slave trade so that's why we don't have sugar yeah Mm -hmm. thanks for asking next okay yeah here's the tea um notebook i'll leave you with it for like a half an hour yeah it's a lot of choices um so my, my favorite, well, I love um, this one here is great. It's, well, it's truly an incredible tea. It's, it's one of a kind. They, um, they source it from actually the freeway Median um, on the 101 North. So um, there's this one section that um, goes right over an, a sacred burial ground. And what they've done is gone out, they, they go out naked to harvest, um, some sort of flora and fauna that grows in the freeway median and they just pluck it, um, dry it out. Yeah, it's more of like a political statement than a tea. Um, it's, yeah, it's a political tea. Um, well, I don't think the flavor is very important. I don't really think that's what this tea is about, but, um. If I had to name the flavor, I would say it was more like a, uh, like a sort of gasoline-soaked hay flavor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyways, I'm not gonna explain every tea to you, okay? So here, here's the notebook. Um, just let me know when you're ready to order. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Hmm ma'am, you have to actually leave your shoes on. Yeah, I know. It's it's a bummer. Um, I also wish I could take my shoes off, but yeah, we have to leave them on for, for health health code. Thank you so much. <sighs> well, good evening, bookies. And if These Girls Read Books was a coffee shop, it would probably be something like that. So hope you enjoyed, enjoyed that bit of a riff. This is Molly Tallon, and this is These Girls Read Books, the podcast. And I have a really fun conversation with you tonight um, with my friend Madeline, who is one of those really cool friends that you have. And when you introduce them to other friends, you're basically like, this is my cool friend who thinks I'm cool, so I must be cool, right? You guys think I'm cool? All right, so Madeline's my cool friend. And um, she is one of those people that's, yeah, she's, she's like me, she's a New Yorker reader. We enjoy um, nerding out, geeking out on books and authors and writers and what's going on in politics and religion and art. And I love talking to her every time. We just, we we could just talk for hours. Um, And so we read uh, Carmen Maria Machado's book In the Dream House. And if you've never heard of Carmen Maria Machado, then you probably haven't read much of The New Yorker, but that's okay because I have, so I can tell you about it. Um, She is sort of one of those up and coming generational writers. Uh, somewhere between uh, Gen X and Millennials, kind of a cusper like myself. And she writes a lot about her personal experience. Um, we reference, I think we talk about her debut book, which is called Her Body and Other Stories. And she wrote in the Dream House, which is the book that we talk about in this podcast, after she wrote that one. And in the. In, the Dream House (laughs) book. She talks about writing that first book while the events of Dream House were happening. Um, So she does talk pretty explicitly about domestic violence that she experienced, um, emotional and physical abuse. So if that isn't something that you want to or are in a good place to hear, then you just might want to go ahead and skip. But if you're a super literature geek like myself, then you're going to love In the Dream House. It is a masterpiece of lyricism and so playful with format and voice. You're going to love it. So here we are, me and Madeline Mads, talking about Carmen Maria Machado's In the Dream House. It was a pleasure. Hello, hello, Madeline. Thank you so much for uh, talking about a book with me today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation.
1: I am revved up about this book. I Mm -hmm. think it is exceptional, and I'm so excited to unpack it with you.
0: Uh, Yes. It's a gorgeous evening. I've got a fire going. I've got a glass of wine. I'm feeling it let's let's get down and dirty but first I have to ask you because I ask everybody um what oh wait no first is how do we know each other because I love to get into that with everybody because it's I we have a meet cute it's just hard to beat I think
1: I know it is um yeah, we were badass neighbors in our gosh, it feels like a couple of lives ago
0: in mm-hmm.
1: Ballard in a couple of cute 1940s duplexes mm-hmm. and I remember you as this like kind of um boss bitch can have a negative connotation but like this boss bitch from California um <laughs> who had really good taste in food and wine and was a writer and yeah how do you remember me from that era
0: oh man I had like just moved in with uh my boyfriend at the time it was like we were like fresh off of meeting and we'd found this cute little duplex in Ballard and he's like worked at a Montessori school and you know I was like beer and wine buyer and we it was like a total other lifetime ago and we just yeah I thought you know well I kind of was the shit and I thought I was the shit (laughs) you were you are (laughs) (laughs) and I was just like gunning like just full steam ahead into this brand new relationship and um it ended up working out so you can skip to the end of the book now it ended up working out but um and then we found out we were pregnant it was kind of like You know record scratch like what but i remember meeting you because you were like our super cute neighbor that was next door and you had like your tomato plants and i think for the first few weeks i called you the tomato lady (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> and you were like always bringing really cute stuff over and um I just remember being like oh that's rad like she's into wine and food just like we are and we were hanging out you know in our shared sort of side yard and, yeah Oh that's was a little uh meet cute I loved it
1: yeah that's so funny I've seen a couple of those come full circle I was definitely at that wedding with two broken arms <laughs> And here we are now talking about this awesome fucking memoir.
0: I know. And you're one of my favorite people to talk about uh, about books with because um, I feel like we have a pretty similar taste and we both mm. have like a great, like, kind of, we're both super into like writery writers. I know mm. that's going to sound really kind of highfalutin, but we're both big New Yorker fans, and, um, you know, we're your classic, like, coastal libtard, you know. um, Nailed it. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) Like, high-waisted pants, you know. um, And Arache sandals in the summer. So, like, that's 100% where we're coming from.
1: Oh, the high-waisted pants. Yes, that. (laughs) Like I, so one of the pleasures of reading this, and we haven't, like, said anything it's about, but one of Mm -hmm. the pleasures of, of having you recommend this was that like, I went into it knowing almost nothing Mm -hmm. and just getting to immerse myself in that. And so when I like zoomed out after reading it and like, I don't know, I was in kind of a, do you, do you read reviews of stuff you've read? Like
0: I will after, but never before.
1: Right. Same. Because I like thinking about it more and living in that world mm-hmm. a little bit longer and dwelling mm-hmm. and seeing how other people were there. And one of the things I came across, your high-waisted comment makes me think about this, was like that ask the, the um, do you remember the like meme on Twitter that was raining a few years ago about like that guy from your MFA and it was all those nasty archetypes? Oh, yeah.
0: It's a little bit too much fun.
1: Yeah. Oh, and they're so spot on. And so, like, um, this th- there was this, like, hot take on Twitter, of course, about this book. And it was, like, the gal from your MFA who's in high-waisted jeans reading her body and other stories. Yes. Um, Machado's other, other book. Debut. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so true.
0: Ah. <sighs> Yeah, no, it's it's very true. This this book is for uh people who geek out on writing, like mm. write, like geeks, you know, like you and me and and you know, it's some people would say like it's like inaccessible, but I think the the casualness of the language, it's kind of a gateway drug to short stories if I had mm. to <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: It. it is absolutely right? a gateway drug, and I mean, you're right that it's a language, and and even if like, uh, we're we're jumping ahead a little bit on format, but like even mm-hmm. if uh, a particular section is more dense, like you can mm-hmm. you can cruise right on over to the next, you know, essay, and right, you know, she changes it up, which is yeah. cool
0: got something there for everybody but um before we dive in I have to ask when you walk into a bookstore which I know you do at a regular Mm -hmm. increments of life um (laughs) what are you looking for like what pulls you
1: oh so um you know I am actually was thinking about bookstores recently and I had this formative experience and I'm going to share it because you probably had this too. Like we both lived in San Francisco in a similar era. Mm -hmm. City lights. Like, Mm -hmm. did you have, like, of course you did the magical city lights experience. I went in there and just, I remember wandering the shelves, and probably ended up in the Deeds and Fictions. So like I hadn't gotten in very far, and I came across a collection of Lydia Davis, who's like mm. an amazing short story writer, and just something that makes me make my own experience feel, you know, connected to the body of human experience. I guess that's what I'm looking for, and often that shows up in fiction. Memoir, you know. I'm looking to, to, I don't know, to feel challenged, to feel seen, just to find something to sink my teeth in. I don't know. What about you? Mm. What What are you walking into the bookstore looking for?
0: Uh, What don't I look for? I mean, I'm one of those people that just I cannot read enough. I cannot digest things enough. And I, I like you. I love what you said about like looking for being seen, like. I feel like often humans are like always trying to pick up patterns or trying to like catch their shadow, you know? And one of the things that books does is like, or any kind of fiction is it helps us like process trauma, process Ooh. joy, process things that happen to us and like understand why something had an effect on us. And um I think that's, this in the same way I think we're all like when we reach for books we're we're reaching for ourselves like we're reaching to understand ourselves and um like Joan Didion has this quote she says uh how does it go it goes uh something like and you could probably google this and be more accurate but she says um we we uh tell
1: ourselves stories in order to live
0: we tell ourselves stories in order to live thank
1: you of course you know that quote Yes, I think it's slouching toward. uh, I'm not even going to try and remember which one, but um, I think it's slouching toward Bethlehem. But you're right. Yeah, yeah, true. We find ourselves in these stories, and we we make meaning. You know, like Mm -hmm. we find and make meaning, and I don't know. I'm like coming off a high of reading this book, but right now I'm like, Mm -hmm. far be it for me to say that anybody does it better than Carmen Maria Machado.
0: Yeah. I know right she really does like she will find like she takes she gobbles up mm. words and like spits them back out and makes this like hedonistic like p- propulsive I'm totally gonna steal your word there
1: yeah
0: um journey like into like the tar of human relationships, like just Ooh. how it can get like so oh. sticky so fast. Yes. And how like, and she, she just wades in there with you. And the thing about this book is like, you're in there with her, like in it's sticky, it's gross, it's unpleasant, but you're, you're in there, you're invested with her. And she like brings you along and, and, you know even though maybe she's a person that not a lot of people could relate to, um, and we'll get into that, but it helps it it's she makes you relate to it, you know, like she brings you there
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah, the tar, wow, I'm sitting with that image. It's true, and also, I think that you should tell me you know or tell anyone who's listening you mm-hmm. know a little bit about what this book is about, but I, I also realize, I'm just, as you said that, I'm sitting here thinking about it. And something that draws me in so much to her stories is that she's a smart woman. And I think that mm-hmm. I feel this like, oh, if you're in this tar, mm-hmm. like, it's somehow validating my experience, like, oh, if this happened, yeah, just that, that mm-hmm. of connection. But what is the tar that she is finding herself in in this oh she wades in
0: deep and it is cringy yeah. but um so this the sort of I guess we could call it the the subject of this book like I I, I hesitate to call it plot because yeah. there's some experimentation there but um the plot is we're with her as a young woman is she like starts this mfa program to get a master's in fiction at iowa which is a really prestigious as yeah. we both know like yeah. a super prestigious mfa program and only the best of the best get in i'm not surprised <laughs> yeah. NBD,
1: like, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: no big deal <laughs> um yeah so she gets in and she's heading to iowa and she meets this woman um who happens to be in another relationship which is an open relationship she totally falls for this woman and she's also at the same time that she's falling for this woman she's discovering that she falls for women which is yeah. interesting right and then so she has this huge identity shift and then she um gets into this relationship which flags are on the field from like day 2 mm. um and you can kind of see it coming like a distant train, you know, like you can mm-hmm. hear it, and you're just like, "Oh man, like this is gonna get bad it's real fast." Up yep. I, yeah. It's like,
1: yep. Yeah. Like yep. I
0: know. And the whole time you're just like, "Girl, no," but yeah. she fucking does it anyway.
1: <laughs> right. So it's this memoir that is the story of transformation in this really formative period of her life, both like creatively mm-hmm. and personally and interpersonally, and it's also um it's also i think worth pointing out that she's portraying a queer relationship her queer relationship and a relationship where there's domestic violence um mm-hmm. and she's also adding to the canon of like queer literature in an important way which is to- yeah to document, I mean I hate to call it imperfect, but like that's just the first word that came to mind. But like, you know, this important work because it's 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 you know placing this experience on the continuum of queer relationships. Mm-hmm. And yeah, going back to the theme of like what we're talking about about being seen, like giving visibility to this like uncomfortable, messy and and therefore very fucking real you know, right. Life
0: experience. Yeah. I think oftentimes minorities are not allowed to be human. You know, mm-hmm. like you have to mm-hmm. be perfect. Um, You have like, she talks a lot about how for being in a queer relationship, it's like, it better be a perfect relationship or else you're making the rest of us look bad.
1: Right. You no know, fakes, like no. don't air
0: right. your dirty laundry out. Like you're not allowed to get a divorce you're not it's not allowed to be bad you're not allowed to be bad parents because you're queer and you're going to ruin it for the rest of us
1: you're under the microscope and i think
0: right you're under a microscope and it's something that a lot of people don't often think about as like in my experience is like a heterosexual heteronorm in a heteronormative relationship like i don't feel that pressure of like you have to be perfect like your your kid can't be messing up your kid you know because if it if they are like it's, we can point it back to oh well their their parents are queer their parents are mm. lesbians or you know um, totally and that it, it happens to minority you know racial minorities everyone in that bag and I think she addresses it right up front in very plain words um, and it feels like a little bit of her mission is to like she knows that talking about this is taboo and this book sort of feels like her. Um, her fucking message to the mm-hmm. queer community of like I'm going to talk about this because nobody's talking about this and I'm you're going to listen
1: I'm going to talk <laughs> about gonna- this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, I'm going to tell my story and yet mm-hmm. isn't it queer that even in telling her own story she like mm-hmm. still leaves it open for the reality of multiple truths like yeah that feels radical. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I, how do I say what I mean there without giving anything away? You know, she yeah. tells the story of this relationship almost like through a prism. So we're kind of shifting a little bit into talking about format, but she, t- this memoir is, we, we could call it a series of chapters, a series of mm-hmm. essays, um, but it's like a bunch of almost, they could stand alone, like these short stories, and they explore, you know, on on a progression, it's definitely nonlinear, but it's still got kind of a forward thrust to it as as this really mm-hmm. like comes together and then unravels. But mm-hmm. even, even as she tells this very personal story, like, she's quick to let us know, hey, this is my truth, and I'm going to claim it. Mm-hmm. But... Inside of that claim lives her acknowledgement of the subjectivity. And I like that.
0: Oh, it's radical, you know, it is. It's very radical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the format is like a series of chapters, we can call them. And I would not hesitate to compare it to, uh, William Carlos Williams book of Cantos
1: Sort of like Definitely. his
0: um, his book of poetry. It's all these like short poems. And so this one, I mean, the how delicious the language is. You could call a lot of these things poems if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, and each chapter is sort of varying in length. And each chapter has a um, slightly different title. She always starts each chapter with Dreamhouse As. Nice. And then... Each chapter has like pop single. Dreamhouse, Dreamhouse as unreliable narrator. Dreamhouse as half credit. Dreamhouse as exercise in style. Hmm.
1: Dreamhouse as lesbian cult classic.
0: Dreamhouse of lesbian
1: cult classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and- <laughs> Which I think this book will be. It'll be a lesbian cult classic. Like.
1: And I'm kind of flipping about, like, through it here as you were saying some of those, and I'm reminding myself um, that interspersed with her own experience are some like forays into pop culture, kind of 20th century and earlier mm-hmm. century, like folkloric archetypes. But, but she, you know, this is a feminist read for sure. And she explores mm-hmm. like some important um, cornerstones, I think of, like contemporary feminist thought like I love the um, the chapter
0: about gaslighting and I was I have that I have a bookmark in that chapter I was like I want to spend so much time talking about this chapter about gaslighting
1: did you know that's where the term comes from
0: I did not. And I learned that from this book. And then I looked it up later. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. And I always knew what it meant. But I didn't know that it had origins in pop culture, which is a delight. Yeah, but I'll stop there because we probably should explain to people. Um, And I feel like explaining it is... Not going to ruin the book for people.
1: No, um, no. Give me your take. Yeah. I have I have like a story for another day, maybe, but this total tangent about a therapist one time that I was interviewing. And <laughs> like my threshold question, and I was interviewing them to be my therapist. And my threshold question nice. like, do you know what gaslighting means? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, Yeah. Um, I guess I'm just telling the story. <laughs> she mm-hmm. was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's when um, you're feeling really drained and tired and like a gas light comes on in your car because you need more gas. <laughs> and, I was,
0: and you're like, no, I was next. Like,
1: no, this- next. And also the irony. You just gasped at yeah. me that you knew what it meant and you don't. <laughs> like, <that laughs> Classic. Idea. No. But what is it actually yeah. mean in case there's somebody who's encountering that term for the first time listening to this yeah. podcast?
0: So gaslight is a verb and you've probably heard it around, especially in the year 2020, we're talking about racism. We're talking about who gets to decide what's the truth. Um, And so to gas, like gaslight, we sort of think of it as a verb, like you're gaslighting me or don't gaslight me. What someone would be saying there is don't make me feel like I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you'll be having an argument or you'll be having a discussion with someone. And they'll, instead of countering your point, they're trying to discredit you mm-hmm. or make you feel like, um, yeah, like you're, like.
1: Make you question your called, own sanity, almost. N- that,
0: that's exactly, like making you question your own sanity. Um, or making you feel like you're wrong or taking you down instead of countering your point so that's often what people are saying when they're saying gaslight at least that's always been my understanding of it and then hearing from this book and she has a whole chapter it's called dream house as nine thornton square which is a was unbeknownst to me but i learned it but from reading this is the name of the movie right thornton square or no angel street yeah
1: ingrid bergman was starring in it and she plays the wife
0: yeah, she plays the wife in a film called Gaslight from 1944. Yes. Um, a woman's sanity is undercut by her conniving husband who misplaces objects, a brooch, a painting, a letter, in an attempt to make her believe she is mad so that she ultimately, so he ultimately can send her to an asylum.
1: Yeah, so he's like slowly fucking with her reality.
0: Yes, yeah, like, so when someone says, like, don't gaslight me, they're saying, like, don't make me feel crazy. Yeah. Like, don't attack me here. Like, don't bring down my, like, who I am just to get your point across. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not the crazy one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And or, like, I- when someone um, discredits your feelings. Mm. So, like, you, you can say, like, I'm so mad because you X, Y, and Z'd. And they can say well what you know like making you feel like you shouldn't be angry mm-hmm. you know or you're not allowed to be angry yeah it's just
1: it's invalidation at like mm-hmm. this he- monstrous scale
0: really yeah hideous. and it it's a one of the main tenants of patriarchy, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go there. I'm surprised we didn't get there sooner.
0: Yeah. <laughs> one of the main tenants of patriarchy, gaslighting. That's it's how we keep the women down, you know? it's how we make them feel crazy. We make them feel like the injustices that they're trying to say are there are not, you know? Yeah. Um, and so you'll hear it all the time when – you know men are it will be like I wonder if he didn't introduce himself to me because I'm a woman and I was with a group of men Mm. and he introduced himself to everybody but me and then another person will be like that's not true he just you know forgot or didn't see you and it's like well don't make me feel crazy like he introduced himself to everybody but me right I
1: he went I Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. He, he went around the meeting room and asked everyone for their input and then skipped over me. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Like, I didn't yeah. make that and up. And then your
0: co will be like, oh, come on. Like, don't don't make this about sexism or don't make this about being a woman. Like, not everything is because you're a woman. You're like, well, it kind of is. But
1: it is, though. But it is. Yeah. Yes. I walk through this patriarchal world as a woman. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's so speaking of the patriarchy and another of its tenets, which is gender rule, mm-hmm. I have a confession yes. to make. Please do. So my confession is that I, in my own heteronormativity, I came into this memoir not realizing it was going to be about um, a lesbian relationship. And Mm -hmm. used the word propulsive earlier to describe the Mm -hmm. piece and like how engrossing it is from the first page. And I agree. And my confession is part of this is due to, I think, I think I have like this inner voyeur that I was kind of curious to see like what this relationship, like I am guilty of, of the very thing we were accusing like people of, of, um, Oh man, minorities can't, you know, have mm-hmm. like this full scope of human experience because people like me judge them. No, um, I'm mm-hmm. not that awful. But w- where where this lingering thought is going is that yeah, it was propulsive because it was nonlinear. You want to see what happens, you wanna see how this relationship resolves. But I also was kind of like curious to see what this looks like in like I idealize a lot of queer relationships. Uh, because I think that they've subverted right a lot of patriarchy and gender roles. And so I was kind of like, mm. Oh, you mean it's not the promised land? Like it's not. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you mean I didn't miss out? No. You mean they have the same problems?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Thank you for saving me there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um Yeah, it's it's so true. It's like you but I, I love but I love going into books blind. Like I love going into books looking at the cover and being like i don't even know what's in here but i'm just gonna dive right in you know like i'm not a person that likes to read reviews of movies before Mm. i see them like i don't even like to watch the trailer like just the title and maybe the actors that are in it and i'm i'm there um but like the same thing with authors i'm like oh i love carmen so whatever she writes i'll just read that and i'm sure it's great Mm -hmm. um so tell but me, yeah.
1: the 9 Thornton Street, like, jumped out at you. What else? You sound yeah. like you have stuff bookmarked. What? Um, oh, heck yeah, I do. I, I don't know. Even without looking, like, what what struck you? What are you still sitting thinking about? Like, if you could curl back up inside this book and stay there a little while.
0: Ooh. so back at 9 Thornton Place in that chapter, what I loved was she goes really deeply into, like, Get like the mechanism of gaslighting someone, um, and down here at the bottom, everything she is is unmade by psychological violence. She is radiant, then hysterical, then utterly haunted. But by the end, she is a mere husk floating around her opulent London residence mm. like a specter, and it's such a tragic view of an abused person in a relationship where you're gaslit so many times that you don't even know who you are anymore. And that's the whole point of the abuser and the abuser might not even know they're doing it. I mean, they know they're doing, they're abusing, but they might not even understand why or how they're doing it. They're just like writing. And the, the feeling that I got from, The woman in the relation, the other woman in the relationship, who is the abuser in this relationship, Mm -hmm. was that she wasn't even clear. She was in so much pain. She wasn't even clear what or how she was doing it. She was just a like tender, like ball of emotion, Mm. so raw that she couldn't even control her outburst. Not to say that she wasn't responsible for her reactions and the. The way she was going about abusing her girlfriend. She absolutely carries all the responsibility. But you could see in even in Carmen's portrayal of her, you could see how much she loved her and how much pain this person was mm. in. You're and that was right. it's like so amazing that even writing about this abusive relationship, she could write about her abuser with so much tenderness. Mm-hmm was incredible to me and that's what made it superhuman and that's what made it like really relatable to me because although I've never been in a categorically abusive relationship I've seen all these behaviors in other humans I've seen the way humans hurt each other and I've been the human that's hurt people so yeah. I can relate to all those things so
1: I know I had I found myself having empathy for her yeah which, like, yeah. geez, that is, if that is not the mark of a really talented writer to make you feel empathy for the villain... I mean, not to say she, like, yeah. set out to make that person the villain, but...
0: Yeah. Or... Yeah, I mean, she says at the end of that chapter, the closing sentences, a reminder, perhaps, that abusers do not need to be and rarely are cackling maniacs. They just need to want something and not care how they get it. Ooh. Which Ooh. is just right you could just sit on that sentence for a day and a half but um, that is just
1: devastatingly correct
0: yeah right Yeah, isn't that great when you read stuff like that when she like, names just... the
1: thing like she names yeah. it yes and it allows us all to see it and you're, you just said like you haven't been part of a categorically abusive relationship but you're a human who, who walks through the world and our world is full of power mm-hmm. dynamics and and these, mm-hmm. these behaviors, you know, show up, maybe not with this yeah. intensity and this scale and this intimacy. Um, mm-hmm. but but they show up and yeah. I mean they show up. The intensity starts in their relationship from the get-go, right? Like they meet at a diner, it's fast moving. You talked about how the girlfriend mm-hmm. was in a relationship, but mm-hmm. we learn it's open. We're told it's open. Mm-hmm. And and things move pretty fast like i think it's their first date that they have sex and they're all over each other mm-hmm. and and we are we i was in i was in, enamored too like i was enraptured oh, yeah. right there with it i was like mm
0: mhm i know right i was like there i was like yes um yeah that one chapter um dreamhouse as inciting incident yes and she says she is that mix of butch and femme that drives you crazy Um, and you feel like a child buying something with her own money for the first time. And I was like, see, that's how you relate. That's how you bring people in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how you bring people in. You know, that's how you humanize what can feel like that is such a different experience than me. I can never relate to this queer Latina woman. Yeah. Who has, has a master's in fine arts, you know? Yep. But she'll write something like that, and you're like, oh, I know exactly how that feels.
1: And I think um, it's you who've said this to me before in, in other conversations about reading and writing and, and mm-hmm. storytelling um, that, right, the mark of a really, of like, conveying your, your truth of doing that, of achieving that, is making this highly personal experience feel universal
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: right. bringing people in yeah and I think she does that over and over with that line you just said the money for the first time or or there's mm-hmm. another early chapter, which is um dream House of as point of view and mm-hmm. it's a short it's one of the short it's you know they they span um from just a line to a few pages, but this is a, on the shorter side, it's like two paragraphs, first paragraphs written in the first person. Um, and it's kind of her present day, more grounded self. The second paragraph's written in the second person, and she's kind of othering herself, and it's it's her talking to this younger self who's still in the current relationship, and she talks about you turned out mostly garbage the second half of your MFA. Um yes. you tried to tell your story to people who didn't know how to listen, you made a fool of yourself in many different ways. And that was my moment of relating. Um mm-hmm. Early on, there were several, because that was like, yeah, I didn't, I don't have an MFA, I didn't go to Iowa. But I definitely tried to tell my story to people who didn't know how to listen. And I've definitely Mm -hmm. loved myself in more ways than I care to reflect on. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, we all have, and that's what she's so good at is taking this really specific experience of being a queer Latina woman in a relationship with a white woman who is emotionally and physically abusive, psychologically abusive, and makes it feel like it could be happening to any one of us, you know
1: mm-hmm. and doesn't she matter- feels
0: like? Oh, go ahead.
1: Well, I'm just thinking about this. Does it matter too that her as I think about that now that like the the white woman girlfriend is kind of the she's not my ideal, but she's like the platonic ideal of mm-hmm. a certain mid-century America of like feminized beauty, right? She's white, she's mm-hmm. blonde she might as well be blue eyed for the purpose of this description. Mm -hmm. She went to Harvard, she speaks French, she, you know, like goes around in certain literary circles. So, you know, to be accepted and loved by her is probably something that someone who's lived on the margins for some of her life, like that probably feels pretty good while it's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things she speaks to is like, she talks about like how could this creature love me like Mm. I sort of I have to pursue this like I have to give into it because there's not another boat coming Mm. you know and I feel like we may have all had that experience where you're dating someone or you're enamored with someone who you think is way out of your league and then lo and behold they feel the same about you and so you're like, well, I have to give up everything. Like, how could this possibly, you know? And so then all of a sudden there's a power dynamic, which there could have already been one there before. Um, but it seems like from the beginning of this relationship, there's like this really lopsided power dynamic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think Carmen does a good job of saying like, I. she's sort of saying in this book, like, I put myself there. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I put myself in that power dynamic. I take responsibility for that um portion of it. Um but it and also, that's really interesting too.
1: It's also so human like she, she you know the 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 want to be desired is something we can all yeah. we've all have, you know. And she talked yeah. about it in the chapter that's Dream House as Memory Palace and mm-hmm. she says, you know, you wanted that drive across four states desire. You wanted someone to be obsessed mm-hmm. with you. And I think I think so. I'm not saying that that's like a healthy want, mm-hmm. but it's one that we've all internalized after watching like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl in Garden State, that it was Natalie Portman right. and all of the indie rom coms of my like teens and early 20s.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that. But... Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we live in a society where like a person like Carmen isn't exactly held up as the ideal. Like, You know, we're told like if you're anything above, you know, a size six, like you're fat Mm -hmm. or you're chubby. And if you're anything but white, like who's going to want you? Mm -hmm. And her experience living in what she describes as a curvy to fat brown body is sort of like a take what you can get Mm -hmm. and then go from there, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Which is an experience I can really relate to um you know so that is a place where like that hit really hard for me and i'm like yeah i i come from that quadrant of the population of like curvy to fat with brownish skin you know Mm -hmm. um so i can very much relate to that feeling of like okay like you coming coming right out of the gate as a young woman and being like take what you can get because you'll be lucky if anybody finds you attractive which i have since grown wiser then, but i know but it's um, such a
1: journey though Ah. it is (laughs) it
0: is and i feel like i'm still on that journey and will forever be but it's fun to look back it's fun it's interesting to look back on this the perspective and like she writes so well from the place of being in it and i think i want to talk about the from that place i want to talk about the um the point of the writing from the second person point of view mm. and then the writing from the omniscient and how she dances back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I have to say at first, it felt gimmicky to me. I don't know if you had this experience, mm. but at first I was slightly annoyed by it because I was like, are you doing the thing where you're like trying to be an edgy writer? Mm-hmm. That's annoying me, you know, because I, I went to college for creative writing and I have a degree. And I can't tell you how many like readings I've been in or workshops I've been in where someone's thrown in this like second person narrative and and by second person I mean when they're saying you go from okay, so I'm gonna read from you go from house to house together, you drive, your girlfriend is in the passenger seat, da-da-da-da. So you're saying from like this is what you do. And that's the second person narrative. And sometimes to me that feels gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did at first when I started reading this and I was like, what is going on? You know, I got like three chapters in and I was like, Oh no, they're doing this experimental narrative thing. I don't know. Yeah. Like this is going to annoy me. But then all of a sudden I went from being slightly annoyed to I'm in a hundred percent. I'm invested. I'm here and I never want to read another book again
1: <laughs> well and I mean you're so right but it's a it's a it's a fine line and yeah. not everyone can do it and mm-hmm. there were some things like I wondered if the whole like dream house as mm-hmm. fill in the, the blank you know was gonna be a format that I was I did not love it at first I was yeah like, interesting um yeah and You know, and I think it takes definitely a lot of... I mean, so she starts out with um, Dreamhouse's Overture and is like, I never read prologues. I find them tedious. If what the author has to say is so important, why relegate it to the paratext? What are they trying to hide? Mm -hmm. And then immediately proceeds to have a prologue. Yes. (laughs) Which which at first I was like, okay, you don't get to just... Because I think that kind of a cop-out with lesser writers is when they find Mm -hmm. themselves wading into kind of like the pitfall or the trap of a cliche, they're like, Oh, but if I acknowledge this, if I acknowledge what I'm doing, I like Mm -hmm. avoid the pitfall. Right. Cause it's like, I'm self-aware, wink, wink, you know, like, yeah. If I name what I'm doing, I'm not as guilty of doing it. And for lesser writers, I think that's what they do. And that was kind of my question here was like, Oh, is she just like winking self-awareness at us? Or but then I I came to kind of feel like it's actually there. And there isn't anything here that doesn't need to be.
0: Right. Well I think the the trick is this book has really uncommon rhythm. Mm. And so like when you're starting out, it's kind of you're kind of trying to get the pace, you know, and then you're kind of like, What is this? Like how do I you know, like you've seen a banana for the first time. You're like, what is, how do I even? And then so you're like, I don't know, This is going to be weird. And then all of a sudden you take a real bite and it's like really delicious. And you're like, okay, I get it. I got it. You know, we're here. I, I totally get the pace of this. I understand why this is the way it is. But yeah, it's a, it's a little bit odd on the outset. You know, like if you've never seen a kiwi before, yep, you're going to be confused as to how to eat it. But
1: but you're right. The prose, the prose is so well written. It's so beautiful that it carries you through that rhythm mm-hmm. you're not used to, right? Like yeah. It carries you yeah. through. I, mean, I opened a random page just now, Dreamhouse's Utopia. And mm-hmm. there is one line, Bloomington, even the name is a promise, living, mm-hmm. curling, soft in your mouth. And in just in that moment we kind of like take stock and Bloomington happens to be where her girlfriend is so she's starting a section about mm-hmm. about that um portion of their relationship but you're mm-hmm. absolutely right.
0: Yeah, Bloomington. Yeah, oh, yeah, and then she just gets she just gets ass deep in this relationship that is just going downhill so fast. Um and the way that you fall into it, into it with her is just devastating. Like I am looking at, um, okay. To write down. Ah, Oh, I lost my place. There we go. Um, Oh, here it is. It's not incorrect to tell an artist that there is a responsibility tangled up in whom you choose to make villains, but it's also not a simple matter. Mm. So like there's that you were talking about that self-awareness as she's sort of starting to describe her girlfriend as the villain in this and what her sort of narrative responsibility is and then what her like personal responsibility is like as a writer and as a person. And I wondered about that like and I haven't looked And I'm curious, but I I don't know if I'm going to look to see like, what if there was ever like a public or a private or a writery response to when this book came out, because I'm sure her girlfriend would be pretty easy to like, figure out exactly who it was. And I know there are parts of this book in which she alludes to like people not believing her, Mm. knowing the two of them. And What I think is interesting about this book is the way it dances back and forth between, like, being, like, a very flowery memoir and then being, like, a really real account of an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And I'm so curious, but I don't know if I'm going to look up, like... I mean,
1: everything is online nowadays. It would, like, take you half a click. But, yeah, that Mm -hmm. is – you're saying that it's, like, I'm rifling back through my mind files thinking about certain choices to, like, to include certain chapters because there's a time when um, they go and visit, like, the girlfriend's family or go Mm -hmm. on trips. And I'm thinking about it now and, like, from a quote-unquote plot perspective – I don't know mm-hmm. that they drive it that much, but it it, it fleshes out the girlfriend's care the character of the girlfriend, like her backstory a little bit. And it starts to yeah. point, it starts to point at some reasons of like why why she is who she is, you know, and why she mm-hmm. acts the way that she does. And and that like taking that in light of what you just said, that's really generous. Like she doesn't yeah. owe that to her. Um mm-hmm. But it makes the work stronger, definitely, because she's multifaceted, you know, she's not just like this flat villain. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, she's a person with kind of like, I don't know, guard, like, her parents don't seem like particularly awful, but enough that you can see their like,
0: lasting negative impact on her. Yeah. The way her parents are written is just so tragic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're such sad people. I know. (laughs) And then you see, like, that's one of the first moments Mm -hmm. is that uh, they're in the house or they're in the, no, they're in the house and she sees the way the dad treats the mom. Mm. And then they're out on the beach and they're in the ocean. And that's the first time her girlfriend grabs her arm and leaves a bruise around it. Mm. And it's a real moment of like it's a flag on the field it's like a oh like this is gonna go and that was one of the first moments in this book where i was like oh shit like i think i might know where this train wreck is headed
1: so those and that was like yeah so those moments were definitely scary and if we're gonna just dwell mm-hmm. in the dark place for a second you know mm-hmm. and and circling a little bit back cuz life is a spiral and so circling back a little bit to the theme of gaslighting too like the part mm-hmm. that was probably the scariest for me is there's a scene where they're taking a drive and they're really tired and i think the road conditions aren't mm-hmm. great great either um, Yeah, and her girlfriend wants to drive and that's maybe mm-hmm. it's not the safest choice given um her, right. her state of mind and you watch carmen like changing her behavior in order to uh, appease I guess or like mm-hmm. um what's the word like just calm her down a little bit and I think that's what scared me the most was I saw a moment of recognition there where I was like yeah. ooh I've done that I've or, you know mm-hmm. maybe not with an intimate partner but it's like I have like softened myself or made myself smaller in order to placate. That's the word. Like to placate yeah. or appease someone. And that is scary because that's when you lose yourself, right? Like- yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that scene especially, I, I'm i glad you pointed that out because there was, that's another tenet of patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's another form of. For
1: I am here for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> <right>.
0: <laughs> Let's get <laughs> into it. Let's call it what it is. Is um, <laughs> like the way that often women have to change their behavior and soften themselves, and the way we're taught to do mm. that from a very young age, in order to, um, like, save the situation mm. or play. Case someone or make sure nobody feels awkward or like it's always on the woman to sort of soften the moment you know so well and i felt that i felt that like so deeply in this book so many times in those scary moments in this book where like you're like is something very 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 bad gonna happen and then it, it sort of does you know and you're kind of like there with her, you're in that passenger seat and you're like watching the girlfriend almost crash, crash the car a few times and you're terrified and you're like, oh my God. Um, and Carmen, the way she talks about how, she's like, how did I get here? Like, how does this, <laughs> Yeah. and the way is. we got there is like through years and years of being trained to like live in these in a woman's body in the patriarchy. It's like mm-hmm. we're perfectly groomed. You're perfectly grooming an entire sex mm-hmm. to give in to save themselves or to save face or to play the part or to make it easy for others. Like
1: I loved how you said it earlier to save the situation. And like I'm yeah. as I think about what you said just now like to, you know to help kind of like almost stave off awkwardness. Like, the amount yeah. of times that we contort ourselves our mm-hmm. or our thoughts so that, like, mm-hmm. you know, f- heaven forbid, you know, someone we're interacting with is, like, made to be uncomfortable.
0: Um, yeah, or made to look bad or feel bad. Right,
1: yeah. You know, yeah. that came up for me. Um, there was an early chapter, that, you know, that's – she has a few chapters that, like, predate the relationship. Because mm-hmm. they're important to kind of understanding who she is and how she came mm-hmm. to be in the world. And there's one where she has this, like, friendship with a youth pastor.
0: And, yes. Oh, wow. And you're like, yeah.
1: she's this friendship with the youth pastor. And, of course, I'm, you know, having an inner dialogue with myself as I'm reading it, which is like, Madeline, don't be a cynic. Don't be a cynic. Just because there's a youth, you know. And yeah. it's like, yeah. You know, of course. But, But um, I think that it gets to that state of mind that you're talking about where, you know, something's off about that friendship that she has with, I think his name is Joel. And because they're like kind of meeting in, you know, not like like five alarm fire bells are going off. It's not like, you know, that Mm -hmm. where he's like bringing her back into the sacristy and, you know. Um, right, but he's you know they're meeting and they're texting and stuff that just doesn't seem like your typical youth pastor relationship. Um, yeah, it, it establishes kind of these it establishes this uneasiness around um, relationship with authority and trust and and you you just kind of it sets the stage early on for like mm-hmm. how a young woman, is all too poised in our society to like question her own experience, judgment, you know, mm-hmm. um, experience of reality.
0: Right. It's sort of like the the onus is on the abused mm-hmm. to like make the situation okay, or to like keep the lion in its cage. Yes. Yeah. Like she talks about in Dream House as haunted mansion. She says, uh, obsessively attuned to the position of her body relative to yours, not sleeping properly, listening for the sound of her footsteps, the way disdain creeps into her voice, staring dead-eyed in disbelief at things you never thought you'd see in your lifetime, that there's always an atmosphere to consider, that you can wound air as cleanly as you can wound flesh. Ooh. Yeah, right. Like considering atmosphere, like oh. I can relate to that so much. Like the idea that atmosphere that you can taste in the atmosphere like how someone is feeling or thinking, and that it's your responsibility. To make it right,
1: to tiptoe around it, or to not acknowledge it, right? Like so, so often too, Mm -hmm. it's a form of not saying the thing, right? Yeah, don't comment or pretend you didn't see or ignore or ooh, what a good
0: passage. Yeah, I know it was. And then okay, so here's another thing about the format. How do you feel about the footnotes that are peppered throughout? I thought that was an interesting way to like get um sort of exposition stuff across Mm -hmm. without like interrupting the story
1: so exposition definitely okay I'm gonna probably give you like way too much of a pseudo intellectual answer than you asked for here but bring it babe okay I'm gonna bring it so okay well and I'm a francophile and a like philosophy nerd but um the prologue sets out the you know she goes into this bit about Jacques Derrida and the word archive and the etymology Mm -hmm. and the archive is the house of the ruler and we've we've already noted that she's adding this work to like the body of queer literature and Mm -hmm. when I think of it in that way I think the footnotes are important um Literally okay one, on a literal level, they're at the foot. they're kind of they're at the bottom of the page. It's almost mm-hmm. they almost all of them reference um, entries in some sort of like index of folkloric literature like many of them mm-hmm. do. And so I kind of saw them as, like you said, they they add exposition without interrupting the like narrative flow, but they also they're like they're almost entering these experiences in this folkloric canon and i think hmm. in that way they're grounding her experience in this larger vastness and mm-hmm. and it and they because like i said because they're at the bottom of the page they're like they're almost the foundation yeah um, yeah that's
0: i love the way you said that sort of like placing herself in the canon of literature which mm-hmm. i know to some people may sound um egotistic oh but i haven't fucking men been doing oh my it God, get, for- <laughs> it, girl. get it get
1: it get it
0: it's like how dare she just place herself it's like how dare he yeah. like who, like men have been placing themselves in canon and saying like this is my magnum opus like mm-hmm. i took an entire class on the book ulysses yeah right and the only thing I learned was that again, he was such an egomaniac mm-hmm. that, like, it took him. He would sit in the pub, and instead of writing the book, he would talk about how great it was. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I've like never forgotten that. And I'm like, I just hope they've retired that class at this point. I'm sure they have, but
1: <sighs> yeah, no. I mean i I like the footnotes and mm-hmm. um. Yeah, I think they're, I think they just add a little bit of texture. And I think, you know, going back to another of our themes of universality, like, there's something I think in the wrong hands, it could be Mm -hmm. dismissive almost like she's minimizing her story. But I think it's I think she's really careful. And there's a distinction between just saying like, oh, this has happened before since time immemorial, you know, you're just another story in this canon. I think that because it's in her very capable hands, she's able to like to able to draw out the pattern that arises mm-hmm. in power dynamics and in relationships while still fleshing out her own story with so much like nuance and, you know, her own truth that it is its own like full-fledged you know dimension and universe.
0: Yeah, I love that. Like you could just read the footnotes and get a lot of Ooh. reference and texture and queer history and regular old hetero history. Yeah, <laughs> right. So um,
1: tell me this, like we've talked about mm-hmm. how kind of tense it was, this ride at times, yeah. but also how like fulfilling. I mean, I feel really like I walked away from it just feeling like really satisfied, just really- yeah. Like, would you read it again?
0: Absolutely. I'm going to read it again, I think, even, you know, this coming year. Just because it's, I read it so fast for me, you know, and you had said you'd read it in two days, and mm. I probably could do that. You know, it's so easy to digest and so rich. It's like a little panna cotta, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, um you comparing
1: things to food?
0: Who? <laughs> who? I mean, who would have thought? I mean, I'm always trying to compare things to food. Um there is a part in here where she talks about um setting her own justice. Mm-hmm. And I remember I I outlined it and I can't find it now, but I, I outlined it and um I was like, you know, I think like this book is her justice. Because she I mean, we won't reveal the end of the book, like the sort of, she calls it herself a plot twist, but um, in the end of the book, there is very little that gets her sort of outsized public justice, but for what happened to her and the abuses she incurred, but this book and it's in and of itself and being such a triumph is like the best kind of justice one could ever ask for.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's restorative, I, Justice.
0: Oh, absolutely restorative. And her tenderness the whole mm. time. I mean, she's not just saying, like, you did this to me, you, 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 like, you're a villain, you know? Yeah. She's talking a lot about the nuances and how this happens and well, the pain everybody is in. It's, uh it's and I mean, beautiful.
1: On a similar note, I think you liked this section as well, or were drawn to it, about the dream house's time travel. Mm -hmm. Where um, she, you know, talks about the self-consistency principle and that if time travel were possible, it would still be impossible to travel back and alter events that have already taken place. And I think that's her way of kind of reflecting on and coming to peace with, or coming to terms with, like... um, even if she, right, had the benefit of hindsight, like mm-hmm. she, you know, she she ended up where she is able to have this restorative justice, you know, because of what yeah. she experienced. And
0: Yeah, she says, um, in t- Dreamhouse's time travel, she says, if one day a milky portal had opened up in your bedroom and an older version of yourself had stepped out and told you what you know now, would you have listened? No. No. <laughs> she would have listened.
1: Oh, the Milky Portal, so good.
0: Yeah, so delicious, right? Just the way she talks about that. Um, I want to talk about the chapter about Deborah Reed. Mm -hmm. And... um, That's
1: my memory.
0: Where are we? Okay, so this in my book is page 157 Mm. is the chapter. And she talks about um, there was a... Um, she talks about sephitic slashers and mm. the idea of like lesbianism being a form of mental illness. And mm. um, and then also she jumps forward in time and talks about there's a group of women like the. Um, she talks about the actual concept of the battered women's defense oh, right. in the legal system. Yes. Yeah. And how a lot of. Uh, there's, like, this group of women, the Nottingham Eight, I believe, or something. Yeah, are
1: these the activists that were, like, writing the... Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and they were, they got their sentences, the Framingham Eight, a group of women in prison for killing their abusive partners, came out to the public eye in 1992. And so these women were, their sentences were commuted because they were being abused by their partners. And so there was eight women, seven of them left print were, they had their sentences commuted, but Deborah Reed did not because her partner was of same sex. Deborah Reed was black Mm. and a lesbian and her partner Mm. was a woman. And she was, she had murdered her partner in self-defense, what we would probably call a self-defense, uh, today but was called back in the day the battered women's defense Mm -hmm. um which is like she was being abused and so she fought back and killed the person unintentionally um but she remained in prison for another 20 years fighting her case uh because no one believed that a lesbian could be in an abusive relationship even um,
1: and we're struggling with that right so in yes. that same she, she in some of the queer history that she brings to the fore mm-hmm. you know like um z- homes in on some activists i think it's in the 80s who are circulating pamphlets and trying to kind of yeah. like, and this is around what anita hill and clarence thomas hearing that was like or around that era is when we're getting language for some of these behaviors sexual harassment that term is coined and mm-hmm. even lesbians were like struggling with this concept in you know in their um relationships and community, yeah, like you no, know.
0: yeah, I mean this is when you know these things are starting to percolate to the surface, mm-hmm. um and I really appreciated this backstory. I loved this chapter, um of course, I love me, a good criminal justice story, I mean all day but um I think the footnotes in this case were especially important for me because I was able to go back and be like oh um that's where that came from and I was able to like look up the article she cited and it does make it feel like a piece of queer history Mm. and it's not something I ever would have known about um I maybe could have heard of the framing I made at some point, but I never would have heard that one of the women was a black lesbian who wasn't let out of prison yeah, (laughs) because she was a black lesbian. Um, what I think is, okay. So I underlined and starred this piece of a paragraph that's in that chapter, um, which I found like, Oh, just so good. It's something that I never thought about, but, um, Uh, the nature of archival silence is that certain people's narratives and their nuances are swallowed to history. We see only what pokes through because it's sufficiently salacious for the majority to pay attention. Um, which is us, you know, like we're the majority. And of course we're not going to hear about the problems of the minority. And um, I think that's what she's trying to do with this book. And I, I hope she's done it successfully. Um, And then she goes on to say there's there's also the simple yet terrible fact that the legal system does not provide protection against most kinds of abuse. Verbal, emotional, Mm. psychological. And even worse, it does not provide context. Mm. So that was something I never thought about. I'm like, I've always thought like, oh yeah, if, you know, of course, like the police can arrest you for abusing someone, but like actually not like yeah. verbal emotional psychological abuse has no place in the law like you can't prove it's happening
1: isn't that tricky i mean it's just it kind of yeah. it's kind of a like i'm just feeling my mind expanding in this moment right when i think about how mm-hmm. yeah the products of um <clears throat> Humanity, in this case, the products of a patriarchal culture of men, you mm-hmm. know, are really limited. And mm-hmm. I think about that, too, as in, in new realms, like we hear about bias being replicated in AI, or we know, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is bias in our legal system, right? Like, men had conflict, often physically or over property, and our, like, body of laws reflect that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and and wives women were often property yeah yeah (laughs) considered property until very recently which I think isn't talked about and yeah I loved this this chapter and I thought it really put her whole um, book in context was talking about the visibility of abusive relationships and core culture by and large and you know it isn't much you know like right. there's not much there to go on so you know it's makes this book very important yeah i'm gonna it's not a book i ever would have read like i ever would have been like oh a book about lesbian domestic abuse like yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, I never would have like picked it up on my own. But well, I probably would have because I love her as a writer. But I never if someone said this is a book about lesbian domestic abuse, I would have been like, I'm good.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really the story. Don't you think of like, someone transforming
0: through hardship?
1: And it's like, cue the like Hollywood trailer voice is someone transforming through hardship. And um, (laughs) no, but I mean, she's like, sifting through her past to find those cornerstones of like her current self-worth, which is like, how did I get here? And I think she does a really good job of sifting through it and finding the pieces that, that give that insight, those like moments and just, gosh, the way she tells them is so, um, engrossing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's intoxicating, um, her command of language. And I appreciate that so much. Like this is such a writer's book,
1: Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Um, but I think it, you know, as I said before, it could be a gateway drug to, uh, you know, the the experimental fiction genre if someone was kind of like looking for something a little bit fancy, you know, to get their teeth into, like this could be a really great gateway drug. And, um, I can't forget. I can't remember if we talked about it, but her short story, also the the husband stitch. Oh yes, it was in the New Yorker. That's also like a great introduction into her work as well. Um, yeah,
1: it's. I it's, think that's. From, I think that might be. I haven't read her body and other stories, but I think it's in that. Mm-hmm. And it's option. I almost feel like this is a great place for rap because we're just singing her praises and like.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but I do have. So, oh, I do have this quote. Uh, I want to talk about one other piece. Okay, is the sort of um, the make the choose your own adventure portion. Oh, yes. Yeah. Dreamhouse is choose your own adventure. So, Anthony, this, did you do it? Like, yes. Yeah, I did. Same. Because I was like, ah, I got to follow her on yeah. this one. No, but then I went back and read it lin- mm. lin- linearly. So she like starts with a paragraph of a situation that's happening which is um basically she's gaslighting her <laughs> Um, and it's how she's do you react? Like,
1: do you placate?
0: K- yeah, and it's do how do you K- react? K-
1: yeah,
0: yeah. She says if you apologize profusely, go to page one ninety. If you tell her to wake up next time your elbows touch her in her sleep, go to page one ninety-one. If you tell her to calm down, go to page one ninety-three. And so you like jump back and forth, and the whole chapter is, um you know, and it, I, I forget what I chose, but if I looked at it now, I'd probably say I if you tell her to calm down go to page 193 and then you go to page 193 and it says are you kidding you'd never do this don't try to convince any of these people that you stand up for yourself for one second get out of here like it's so good and then it just says end go to page 204 um, and so you kind of jump around in the chapter as it sort of a choose your own adventure chapter and i just enjoyed that so much. I thought, yes, it's experimental. Call it gimmicky if you want, but it made so much sense to me. Um, and I think it's a little bit of a generation grab mm-hmm. because um, you know, we are of the generation of the choose your own adventure books. Mm-hmm. So for us it was like a little, you know, it was a little bit millennial, but um
1: Yeah, this little Easter egg I,
0: here. I, Yeah, yeah, a little Easter egg in there um Well, so
1: yeah, but the first one but, that you shared where it's like if you do as you're told, go to page. You know, if you tell her to do it yourself, yeah. go to this page. So yeah, what I love there is that like I actually see two selves in that. Mm-hmm. There's like I can immediately feel the inner child or like the younger Madeline, right? Who in Carmen's telling is often the like second person, the you, you know, I, I know that yeah. like, I know there are moments when my younger self would have done as I was told. And then I also know there's the part of me now who'd be like, do it yourself. And I love the plurality yeah. of that. I think that's like, mm-hmm. a, I, I'm, I should, I should assume she intended it because she's a brilliant writer, but even mm-hmm. if didn't like the byproduct of having your plural, plural seeing yourself is pretty cool
0: yeah and it it helps us like it it helps you see the difference in like it's like proof that you've grown up yeah you know does that make sense grew, like it's sort of like yeah. oh I would have when I was 21 I would have chosen that yeah and when I was 28 I would have chosen that and now that I'm 35 I'm like I have my suitcase at the door <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah i'm like ain't nobody I, I, got time for this yeah <laughs> it's
1: in the rear view i'm peeling yeah, out of the driveway. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: i'm on the phone yeah yeah basically oh my gosh okay so this i think where i want to wrap is that because i feel like this quote is just going to nail down everything we're talking about um uh it's just my probably my favorite quote in the whole book and then And then maybe you could share your favorite quote in the whole book, if you have one. Um, So this is, uh, okay. It's on page 195, and it's in that same chapter, the Choose Your Own Adventure chapter. Mm. If you stare mutely at the dirty plate, and all you can think about is Clara Barton the feminist icon of your youth who had to teach herself how to be a nurse and endured abuse from men telling her what to do at every turn. And you remember being so angry and running to your parents and asking them if women still got told what was right or proper. And your mom said yes. And your dad said no. And you, for the first time, had an inkling of how complicated and terrible the world was. Go to page 198. (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah 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 the the mom answering yes and the dad answering now it's like yeah that still happens to me
1: man I I don't know I mean one place that I I feel like I don't know maybe it's a little too um on the nose is in terms of rapping but the place that I have been thinking about is And something we didn't touch on too much, probably because neither of us identify as very religious, Mm -hmm. um, is she talks about as a kid being obsessed with the rapture, um,
0: Mm. that
1: moment when everybody leaves. And she talks about that in her, like as a kid she read all those left behind books, which I found like an endearing detail. Yeah. And she's talking about the apocalypse and like how scary that would be for the world to tear apart. And then she says, then one day you learned that rapture could also mean blissful happiness and you good yeah. fully that it is important to live in unyielding fear with a smile on your face Ugh. boom and that gets to mic too. drop yeah Just mic drop yeah
0: absolutely oh my god
1: Thank you for Absolutely. having me on here, Molly, to talk about all these thoughts and feelings and words. Um,
0: oh, yeah. What a joy. Any time. What an absolute joy. The thing I love to sort of end on is, um, what, are you, uh, what are you reading next? Oh, what's on your bedside table?
1: Yeah, I'm reading T. Kira Madden's memoir, which um, she's a New York City-based um, author. She's teaching at Sarah Lawrence. And... I didn't realize that I would dive right into another memoir, but it's called um, Long Live the Tribe of Fatherless Girls. Ooh. And it is a great um, kind of follow up to In the Dream House because it's more stories of how we give meaning to um, our experiences as a woman.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah.
1: And <sighs> coincidentally, it's like halfway through the book that I realized this that she's related to. Steve Madden of like the chunky heel fame of our youth.
0: No way. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh. Steve Madden, bring on those platform
1: <laughs> Uh Sandals. Yeah. Yeah. What are you reading? Oh man. What is following this up?
0: I am reading a really um captivating detective novel by my favorite irish crime novelist is it tana
1: french yeah
0: yes it is yeah i have not i just needed something i needed something that i because what i do is when i i'm up usually two or three times a night with the baby nursing her and i have my little kindle next to my Rocking chair, and I nurse her and I read my detective novels because they're really great. They're nicely written and they're easy to read in the middle of the night when I'm like bleary eyed and like.
1: Aww. Shout out to Nell. It sounds yeah. like she's making a guest appearance and it's time to, go, time to go read more of French. Tana! It is.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's also reading Tana French with me. So she enjoys Irish crime dramas. Awesome
1: oh oh love you my friend thank you for this
0: i love you have a lovely uh week before christmas down in um beautiful sunny portland i'm sure the weather is glorious yeah and uh we will talk soon
1: talk soon take care
0: okay you too thanks mads Thank you so much, Madeline. I love you, and thank you for reading this book with me and talking to me about it and being a fellow book geek. And um, I just love reading with you so much. So I'm hoping to do that again soon. Thanks so much to everyone for tuning in. You can find us at These Girls Read Books on the Instagram on Gmail uh, you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts these days I know there's a lot of choices out there in podcasting and I appreciate you spending time rate and review if you feel so inclined and if you don't, that's fine I never do I listen to a lot of podcasts since I've never rated or reviewed any of them And, um, you know what? That's fine with me. I'm not really doing this for you. I'm doing it for me. So, you know what? In fact, I'm going to ask you not to, please don't, please don't. I don't, I don't want to go up in the charts. I don't want this to go anywhere. I don't want this to be a success because if it's a success, then, you know, it's going to throw, you know, all those things I believe about myself upside down. So I would really appreciate if you would just continue not caring about what I'm listening or what I'm saying and, and what I'm doing over here. Cause yeah, if anyone cares or thinks it's great or thinks I'm funny, then then really everything I believe about myself is wrong. And I just really can't live in that reality. It's, it's too challenging for my ego. So thanks. Um, and uh, hope you guys have a great evening. I know I am.